Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. And while you're doing that, why don't you get your Bibles out and open them up to John uh, chapter 5. And now a little thing's going to happen in the service that uh, I didn't know was going to happen in the service until like 10 minutes ago. Um, you know, I mentioned in the message last week about what Sue went through and the accident and all the rest of that and how God worked and all that. And we felt we, were at the, we didn't ha- couldn't have any control over any of it. But there was a thing that happened in our lives during that time. And that was um, the church that we were a part of stepped up. Let me tell you, they stepped up. Now, a few too many lasagnas, I will admit that, but, but they stepped up for us. And, uh, and then on Monday, we had a situation in our church that probably most of you are aware of where uh, one of our families, um, the apartment they were in, uh, they got burned out of that. A fire happened, their apartment was destroyed, and they uh, were not able, obvious, to be there, to, to live there. And... Uh, they're in the service here today, and I'm so thankful for them. I'm not going to make them stand up. I'm not going to make them do anything, but they're right, they are right, in, right behind Sue, um, the Herreras. And uh, let's show our appreciation just for them and our prayers for them. Let's, we want to honor <clears throat> a clapping might seem a little bit weird. It seemed a little bit weird to me when I said it, but um, these folks, um, we've had the privilege to serve them this week. And... Uh, I went over to see them on Tuesday and delivered some gift cards, just some things to kind of get things going for them. Um, the elders took care of the elders. You, did, you are the, the, the part of that, but took care of them, a place for them to stay, and the, the, hopefully the final pieces of where they're going to go for the next phase of where they're going to stay happens today. And um, God has been so good. And uh, it was just good to be with them and pray with them. And they have a little son. And uh, I'm so thankful for them. They were, obviously, as you're going through that, that's a difficult season, right? They're a little shocky and all of it. But, uh, but they were beginning to see how the church was working. And the church of Jesus Christ has come together and done so many things. It was kind of funny, like on Tuesday, people are like, I've got a couch I can give them. I've got a bed I can give them. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. They're staying in a motel. They can't have all that stuff right now. Like those, those things are still going to come. Those needs might still be out in front of us, and we'll figure out what we're going to do. But the church has responded in so many ways with needs that they have. And so on behalf of them, I want to say thank you to you for being the church of Jesus Christ. And uh, that is an awesome thing. I was reminded of that through the week, reminding what happened for us and how the church was the church and the church was the church. And you get an A plus this week on the church being the church. And uh, praise the Lord for that, right? Amen. All right, let's get into our text. Uh, John chapter 5, we want to take a look at a message. This is a message on the healing at the pool on the Sabbath. Um, this is the third, third sign of the glory of Jesus Christ being revealed. And Jesus is reveal him, revealing himself as God, as the truth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Jesus is now going to reveal himself as that, and it's not going to be well received. I, I remember talking to my son one time who's on staff in, at Hope in Oakville, and he was talking to a guy that um, he had gone to uh, Bible college with and who was moving way off onto some left-wing kind of theology. And, uh, and the guy basically said, you know, the problem that you guys have in your churches is you're too centered on the truth. He literally said, you're too bibliocentric. To which my son 
son thought that might have been the nicest thing anyone ever said to him in his entire life, right? And we're going to find out today what happens to Jesus when who he is is revealed. And we understand those kind of things will happen to us as well. And so the text is found in John chapter 5. You've got your Bibles open, I trust. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word, John 5, 1 to 18. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnade. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred. And while I am going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? And now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Father, this is your word. Would you stir in our hearts through the power of your spirit as we look into it today? Give us a willing, a willingness, Father, to listen to what you're saying to us. A willingness to truly hear it. A willingness to truly abide in it. Respond to it. And by faith live out of it. For the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, when truth is revealed, people will resist it. Um, When truth is revealed, people will resist it. I was thinking of the big idea for this message. The glory of Christ is revealed. It's now out for the world to see, and they don't like it. The glory of Jesus is being revealed. It's out for the world to see. And they don't like it. In this text, I kind of see three different scenes that happen. And so we want to walk through and take a look at each one of these scenes. The scene one is the care of the Savior. The care of the Savior. Now, before we get too far into it, some of you are very observant when you read your Bible. Others of you are not near as observant when you read your Bible. So if you've got an ESV or an NIV, look down. 
and look at verse 1, and then look at verse 2, and then look at verse 3, and then look at verse, oops, there is no verse 4. Right? So, and so let's just kind of explain, not going to explain it away, I'm going to tell you why that is and the understanding behind why that is. When the uh, King James Version was written, the manuscripts that they had, they had another verse uh, that was in there. Um, that was in 1600. Uh, six, since, since 1600, there's been older and more reliable manuscripts that have been found and uncovered, and, and they don't have that verse in. And so the ESV, the NIV, and most of the more uh, recent um, versions that are in print uh, left that verse out. Uh, because they don't believe it really belonged there from the beginning. Um, now, the truth of what was in, even said in that verse is really kind of found in different ways again. But just so you know, for those of you who get home and somebody's like, where did verse 4 go? It's right, it's because, that's why, okay? All right, enough of that. Let's get on to what's important. Verses 1 to 3. Verses 1 to 3. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there was in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate Pool a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which was, has five roofed colonnades. These, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Bethesda, other places it's called Bethsaida. Um, it was on the north side of the temple. Sue and I were actually there. Uh, on the north side of the temple, you'd go up there, and there were these, these pools, and they were covered by a roof that was there. The, the, the name meant House of Mercy. House of Mercy. And people went there because they believed if when the, probably the, um, uh, as the waters moved, as the uh, waters came in and were stirred up, if you got into the pool first, if you got into the pool first, you would be healed. Uh, that's what they believed. And we're going to come back and talk about that uh, in just a little bit. Um, so did, did God heal people in that way? Well, hang on. We're going to come back to it and see it. But that's what's going on here. We have this pool, and it's there. And down in verse 5, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going in, another steps down before me for 38 years. 38 years. Um, he's been going to this pool and he can't get down first and he isn't healed. He's lame. And Jesus asked them this question. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? What an amazing question for us to think about today when we think about our walk with God and, and the things that are going on in our lives. The one who has the ability to offer to us the healing is Jesus Christ. It can be physical healing, but it can be all kinds of other healing that's needed in our lives as well. Uh, maybe you're carrying sin in your life and, and you're not sure. And Jesus today is like, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Because the source of the healing can only come from one place, and that's from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Christ asks him that question, do you want to be healed? What a great question. What a great question. The bottom line for him is he wanted physical healing, but there's no evidence that he wanted anything more. 
Nowhere in this text do we ever see that this man actually believed. Remember the first two stories we looked at, the first two signs, the first one, the water to wine. In the text, it's like, bring the problem to Jesus, do what he says, submit to his purpose, trust his direction, obey his commands, and then see his reward. And the reward in it that came out was the disciples believed. The disciples believed. The second sign we looked at was the nobleman's son. The man with a God-sized problem, his son was about to die, and he persists to go and meet with Jesus, and the Savior tells him to go on home because your son is healed, and he goes home and has a personal faith that saves him and his family. The nobleman and his house believed. And so in the first sign, they believed, uh, the disciples. In the second sign, the nobleman and his house believed. In this one, there's no evidence anywhere that this man actually believed. He wanted Jesus to help him fix a problem, but he doesn't see Jesus as the answer. He's fixated on the pool. He sees Jesus, a healthy person who's there, maybe with his disciples who are with him going, hey, these guys can get me in the pool. These guys can get me into the pool. And so back to did people actually get healed there? We don't know. There's no evidence one way really or the other about that. But they were willing to go there and they were willing to wait there. But unless you were first in, you didn't get healed. Perhaps the waters were more like a hot spring and had high mineral content. And if you had arthritic kind of issues, then that would be the thing that would help you. would come out feeling better. I don't know. I'm not going to deny that there was healing that happened there. Could have. God works in his ways the way he wants to work. And it's not up to me to limit how he does that. You'll remember in the Old Testament, he told Naaman to go and wash in the river. He's dunking himself. And as he comes up, he's healed from his leprosy. Um, in 2, Corinthians, or 2 Kings 13, uh, the person who uh, touched the bones of Elisha was healed. In Acts chapter 5, some were healed when the shadow of Peter fell over them. In Acts chapter 19, some were healed when Paul's handkerchief was laid upon them, which is not the reason to send your 995 to some faith healer, and they'll save you, send you a hanky, and you will be healed. That's just hocus, okay? But God works in his ways. And God doesn't always work the way that we want. And you know, it's not lost on me that there's all kinds of people around this pool and only one person actually, only one person actually gets healed. He's an interesting case. He's hope combined with hopelessness. He had hope or he would have never gone to the pool of Bethesda. Yet once there he had little hope that he'd be the favored one to win the healing that day. He wanted Jesus to help him get into the pool. Um, John Calvin said, the sick man does not, excuse me, the sick man does what we nearly all do. He limits God's help to his own ideas and does not dare promise himself more than he conceives in his mind. Some people are waiting for a convenient season to, do you want to be healed? Uh, not yet, Lord. Not yet, Lord. I kind of like the world I'm in. 
They're waiting for a convenient season or some dream or vision or sign or wonder or, or they're waiting to be compelled by something that they don't feel yet or they're waiting for a revival to come or, or they're waiting for the feelings to happen or they're, they're waiting for some celebrity to come along and heal them. I guess the question today is, in the healing that you need today, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? The healing that happens in this man's life is a, is a healing that can only come from Jesus Christ. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the greatest healing that ever happened to me, and that was my broken heart. It's actually it's worse than I needed healing. I was actually dead. And Jesus made me alive. Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and, and Christ made you alive. Christ made you alive. And are you here today, and you've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be alive in Christ? Then you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that happening in the nobleman and the nobleman's family, but in this man, we don't see that. He received, the, he received the miracle and then went on his merry way from everything we understand and never was a believer in the gospel. And that could be you. You believe all kinds of good things about Jesus. You've seen all kinds of good things about Jesus, but you never put your trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Do you want to be healed? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and you will be, you'll be saved. I look down at verses 8 and 9. It says, and Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. At once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. Why this guy? There's a whole bunch of people that we know in the text. Why this guy? Uh, perhaps because of the length of time he'd been there. He'd been around there for years and years and years. He'd been, he had been lame for 38 years. He had been carried into that pool, maybe for all 38 years. And every single person in the room knew this guy was an invalid. This guy couldn't get up. This everybody knew. So maybe that's why Jesus chose him, because when the miracle happened, there would be no doubt to anybody in the room what Jesus Christ had done. Everyone knew his situation. It had been a long time. Maybe it was because of the mat that he was laying on that was going to become very important uh, in the story. Um, but Jesus says, get up, take up your bed, and walk, which was a, current, a confirmation of the healing, because in, in the healing, it wasn't like he, he dragged himself out of the pool and then managed to immediately, immediately, he got up and he took up his bed and he walked. I remember after my hockey incident when I broke my leg and um, after a little while and you can put your foot down and you're afraid to put your foot down. I've told you the story maybe before, but I'm at, at therapy because you've lost the strength in your leg and you need to not learn to walk again. I knew how to walk, but maybe I was a little bit fearful to walk and this leg had atrophied and it needed the strength to be built in. And so I'm walking along and I'm in physiotherapy and they have the two bars and you're kind of going along and, and I'm looking down at my feet and she's saying, why are you looking down at your feet? You never looked at your feet before. And so my wife, who's so loving, bought a squirt gun and gave it to the physiotherapist so that when I looked down at my feet, I could get squirted. 
And the physiotherapist thought that was a fine idea. So the next, next time I'm there and I'm walking, I'm looking down at my feet, trying to rebuild the strength. I'm trying to do all the right things and I get hit in the side of the head by a squirt gun that my wife gave to the physiotherapist. So for all the sympathy Sue got last week, <laughs> he didn't go through any of that. He didn't need to go to physiotherapy. 38 years, that leg had nothing in it. And immediately, immediately, He's healed. That was a confirmation. That was a confirmation that he had been healed. He picks up that pallet. He picks up that bed. And he walks. And in doing so, he creates a controversy. Remember, the, the healing of this man, man was not the goal. Uh, that's what Jesus did. But the, the goal was the revelation of the glory of of Jesus Christ. And so we see kind of at the end of verse 9, it says, now that day was the Sabbath. Oh, I wonder why that was. Well, we're about to find out because now we're going to see the conflict that's created by this work that Jesus Christ has done. Starting at the end of verse 9, now that day was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. It's not lawful, you for, not lawful for you to take up your bed. The Jews, probably the Jewish leaders, but the world represented in it for sure. Um, and, and the Jewish authorities persecute Jesus for doing what they consider to be work on the Sabbath. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This man who hadn't walked in 38 years is standing before them holding his bed and they're like, you can't do that on the Sabbath. They missed it. They missed it. They missed the work of Jesus Christ. They missed what he had really done. The glory of Jesus Christ is on display and all they can see is a man holding his bedroll on the Sabbath. Maybe we're tied up in things like that. We get caught up in our rules and you've got to have this done first and if you don't get this done in the right order, then something's wrong with you and all of that's going on and you miss the miracle. You miss the miracle. I remember one time as our elders, we were growing and learning together and we had someone who had just trusted Christ and they wanted to get baptized. And we were all a little bit like, ah, they just got saved. They just got, ah, they just got, maybe we should have them go through some classes first. And, ah, and I, I took my Bible and I put it on the middle of the table and I said, somebody show me why we shouldn't baptize her. We don't need 18 rules. We don't need 25 classes. We don't need, yes, we need to disciple people. That person knew nothing and they needed to grow up in Christ. But here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Well, you haven't taken our eight classes yet. Once you do that and pass the exam, then maybe we'll baptize you, right? And we can get like that in our lives. 
And we have our own kind of set of trappings, and unless you meet those trappings, see, the struggle that these leaders had, they, the Pharisees especially, they made all of these rules around the central principle, and the central principle was right, but all these things they were doing were holding them back from seeing what God could do, and that's what's going on here. And, and this, this guy, who hasn't walked in 38 years, standing in front of them with a smile on his face, holding his bed, and they're like, ah, it's the Sabbath, you can't do that. And they missed what Jesus did. And they wonder sometimes, what do I miss that Jesus has done? Because I get caught up in our systems, and we have to do it this way, and the text goes on. It says, it's the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. It's like, my goodness gracious. But he answered them. By the way, that wasn't true. That was a trapping that they'd built around the outside. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? And now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. So the man is healed. He's standing there. The Jewish leaders are pretty ticked off. Who was this who did this to you? And then we come down to verse 14 because he didn't know. And then it says, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Christ warned the man not to use his healing as an opportunity to participate in sin. If he did, worse consequences than his former ailment could befall him. You've been healed. Before you were so limited into what you can do. And now your world is free. Be careful. Be careful that you don't take this as an opportunity now for sin in your life. Not a total comparison in the New Testament, but I think a picture of this is, is that we, are, we have Christ in us and the gospel in us, the hope of glory in us is not a license to go out and sin. I've got my salvation. I've got it made. I can dabble around and do what I want because Christ saved me. Be careful. Be careful. Galatians 5.13 says, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Verse 15 goes on and it says, The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. The lame man is an example of those who respond inappropriately to Jesus' signs. Yeah, it was Jesus who did that. I, I, I have, I, I'm the recipient of it, but it never got further than the signs and wonders that, that Jesus was talking about with the nobleman. You people just want a sign. You just want a sign. And Jesus gives them the sign, and he still walks away without knowing Jesus Christ. Well, then we get to really what I want to see is the crux of what's really going on here. And it's in scene three. It's in three, and it's scene three. It's the consequences of the glory of Jesus. What are the consequences of the glory of Jesus? Verse 16 says, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing those things on the Sabbath. Again, really? Jesus just healed a guy 
who has been lame for 38 years. And all they can see is, yeah, but he did it on the wrong day. This was why Jesus, they were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. My father, my father. This was another thing for those Jewish leaders that just about blew their minds. Jesus didn't say, our father. See, they understood when he said, my father, he was claiming something that really doesn't show as clearly, near as clearly in the English as it would for them. When he was saying, my father, he was claiming equality with God. And Jesus said, when you pray, say, our father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? And Jesus says, my father. And they blew a gasket when he said, my father. And then it goes on and says, my father is working until now, and I am working. What he's saying is, you see, my father and I, we're doing the same work. It's the same thing. Now they got it. At that point, they get it. It's clear. Jesus is claiming to be God. Jesus is claiming equality with God. That was a, virtually, that was what he was saying to them when he said, my father, and he said, the work that God does, yeah, I'm doing that work. I'm doing that work now. Which takes us to verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making him equal with God. Making him equal with God. Remember back in John 1, um, in John 1, verses 11 and 12, uh, we see there uh, the verses that um, when Jesus Christ came and he was rejected. Um, John 1, verse 11, um, he came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called the Son of God. In John 1 and verses 11 and 12, Jesus Christ is rejected. He's rejected as the Messiah who's come. John has already said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, which is a beautiful parallel to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God. There was no doubt what John was saying. And then they, they reject him in John 1, 12. And then we come to uh, this text and we see them reject him again. Jesus' words in John 5, making himself equal with God, were simply a reflection of the reality of what was going on here. He made himself equal to God. Jesus called God my father. Jesus worked in tandem in the work that they were doing. He asserted the, the same authority on the Sabbath as God had. It's interesting that when they made that claim of him, he didn't correct them. When they said, you're doing that work on the Sabbath, you're doing that work on the Sabbath. And by not correcting them and making some excuse, he goes, that's right, and I'm allowed to because of who I am. Because of who I am, that's why I can do that. 
2,000 years earlier, um, Abraham, excuse me, Moses, at the burning bush, and uh, who, who are you? I am, God said. I am, God said. Um, take your Bibles and flip over to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and verse uh, 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Abraham was approximately 2,000 years before Jesus. Before Abraham was, I am. You see, the, the Jewish leaders started with a false premise of who Jesus was. And they saw him maybe as a healer, maybe as a... But now, but now he's gone too far. Now he's gone too far. When he turned the water to wine, oh, that was one thing. When he, when he healed the nobleman's son, that was one thing. But now he's claiming to be God. You know, there are those out there who say in the Gospel of John, Jesus never claimed to be God. John said some things about it, but like John is so clear about this. And these people who were the Jews who were against him, they saw Jesus Christ for who he was, and they didn't like him, and they were persecuting him at first because he was healing on the Sabbath. And now, and now it's going to change. And now it's going to change. And now they want to kill him. They want to kill him because he's claiming to be God. And this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, Jesus wasn't the only one who made that claim about himself. His own, uh, his own works uh, demonstrate that in, in chapter 5 and, and verse uh, 36. Um, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish these, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me, Jesus claimed. A God the Father made the claim about Jesus and the Father who sent me was himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you, have, uh, and you do not have his word abiding in you for you do not believe the one whom he sent. And so Jesus' own words, the words of the Father, and then the words of him, the Scripture, all claim that Jesus Christ is God. And Jesus' uh, deities attested lots of places in Scripture, in Colossians 1 and Ephesians 1 and Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11. But here's one, Hebrews 1, uh, 1 to 3. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. For 38 years, this influence sat by the pool, hoping somebody would help him into the pool. 
And Jesus comes along and he only sees Jesus as somebody who can help him into the pool. When Jesus is the one who truly is the only one who can heal him. And Jesus does this miracle and the people around miss it. Because they're tied up in their rules and all their, you can't do that, you can't do that, you did that on the wrong day. And Jesus said, my father, I'm doing the works that my father did. And the end result, now we're going to kill him. Now we're going to kill him. The consequences of the glory of Jesus Christ revealed set in place what will become the death of Jesus Christ. Man thinking that he's going to accomplish his thing and finally get rid of Jesus and not even understanding that the most wonderful work will be finished when Jesus Christ says it is finished. Well, so what? Jesus' deity is a central aspect of the gospel of John. He provides for those who believe in him the righteousness that we cannot attain, receive, get on our own. It's only accomplished through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can do this because he is God and therefore has the righteousness of God to give to you and I. So that when I stand before God one day, I stand before God, not in my righteousness, but in in his righteousness, because he is the only one who could give it. If he was only a good man, he couldn't give it. If If he made it through and didn't ever do it, he couldn't give it because he didn't have the righteousness of God. He is God, and the righteous wrath of the righteousness that was required and satisfied the wrath of God could only be possible in Jesus Christ. Hey, church, when you trusted Jesus Christ, his righteousness was put on you. That must change you if you're a follower of Christ. It has to. You can't can't understand who Jesus is and then go through the rest of your life with, I want just enough of Jesus. Here's a claim on everything. Will we live that perfectly? No. But we'll grow in it. We'll trust God in it. We'll see what he will do in it. But the work of Jesus Christ, it must change us. If he is who he says he is, it must change us. I have a friend who, uh, who lives in Indianapolis, and uh, every Sunday he sends me a text just saying, praying for you as you preach the word, praying for your church, asking God to do amazing things in the churches in Canada. Every week he gets, I got one this morning. And I sent him a note back saying, I'm preaching from John chapter five. And I finished my little text back to him with these words. They didn't hate Jesus for what he did. They hated Jesus for who he was. And then I wrote, they won't hate you for what you do, but for who you serve. You can say any other name around here and in our society and it's fine. You mention the name of Jesus, 
that's not going to be a good day for you. It's going to be a great day for the kingdom. It's not going to be a good day for you. Because the world hates him. And they won't hate you for what you do. But they'll hate you for who you serve. Jesus declares who he is. And they immediately come to, we need to kill him. We need to silence him. We need to put him aside. And when we stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, people might mock you or whatever, but it's because of who you serve. But we're called to serve him and serve well and serve for the glory of God because we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's coming for us is so awesome and so good and so amazing and we still live in this free land where it's easy for us to come together and all the rest. Hey, 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 well, we have these opportunities. Let's understand who Jesus is. Let's live for his glory. Let's share the good news of Jesus Christ. Will we be resisted? Yep, we will. Will we maybe lose a job? You, you might. You, will your family maybe disown you or walk away from you? They could. But he's the savior. He's the hope of eternal life. He is the one who we follow. This message started out with the, when the world understands the glory of Christ, they're not gonna like it. They liked it so little they tried to kill the Savior, and eventually they did for the purposes of God. But the Lord Jesus Christ ruling in your heart won't be easy, but it'll be worth it. They didn't hate Jesus for what he did, but for who he was. They won't hate you for what you do, but because of who you serve. But would we be faithful to serve our Savior for his glory? For his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, this was a challenging text. It was challenging for me because at the end of it, they just want to kill the Savior. And Lord, it's not easy for us either because we know. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you. Except for the name of Jesus Christ, it wouldn't be worth it, but it is. So would we, would we go home today with great hope because the work on the cross is finished. They couldn't see it yet. They didn't understand it yet. But the work of Jesus Christ is finished. Lord, would we serve you well out of that for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.